KKNW iRadio 76 proudly presents the 515 Show with your host, John Sarver. Who's at the 515 door today? This should be very interesting. We, we can't wait. We, we've been waiting weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to have this gentleman on with us. And it's time to make a call. It, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where everything is, is kind of upside down and then... See, now we know how much it's going to cost to, to, to talk to the, the gentleman. It, listen, at International Ring, are we like the stuff or what? You know, calling all the way to Australia at this particular time to talk to Australia's second richest man in the whole entire country, Alan Ward. Hi, Alan. Hey, John. Thank you for the intro, mate. How are you? <laughs> second richest man, eh? Well, <laughs> rolling in it. <laughs> well, I mean, we're taking, buddy. we're taking a look at at your house, and you know, you have kangaroos jumping around in the backyard. You have all kinds of things going on there. You have it looks like I don't know, two hundred, three hundred acres worth of land there. So, and then you wow. get to jet around all over the place. I mean, how many miles have you logged already this year? Uh, just in July alone, going to America and then coming home and then driving up to Alice Springs into Central Australia, uh, I did 37,356 kilometres or 23,294 miles. Wow. So I think I win, I, I win the trophy for most travel, don't I? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, between your private plane and your Rolls Royce, you put on a lot of miles this year. <laughs> well, it's pretty easy. And being a painter by trade, mate, painting the RR on the old Holden wasn't pretty wasn't pretty easy, actually. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny to, to give our listeners around the world a basic idea. Alan Ward, amongst other things, obviously, um, besides having dinner with uh, Elon Musk a lot, it's that he... <laughs> yeah, also, yeah. <laughs> he also does. He calls drag races, which is uh, an amazing thing, c- considering how much talent this man must have, and obviously, clearly, he does. That they call them all the way from wherever you were in the world to do the race at Dragway Forty Two in Ohio. It's normally you don't normally you get whosoever's son is available or the guy down the street who's available. When they call Alan, you know you stepped up your game. You know, and, and it was phenomenal. Yeah. Then when we saw Alan at Forty Two and everybody's tugging on our shoulders, going, "We can't understand him." <laughs> Until he loses... Oh, uh, Go ahead. I slowed it down and added a few extras into the R's, <laughs> you know, so, I could, so you could understand me. But, uh, no, but uh, I had to laugh on, on the Sunday morning when you got there and said, oh, look, I, they might be being mistaken. Well, it might think we're listening to Australian drag racing, so that's why I introduced myself. And no, you're not listening to Australian drag racing. It's an Australian in America, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that started a bit of fun. That's it, yeah. And it, it was, I mean, it was fantastic weekend. Loved it. Loved every second of it, and I loved every meter and every yard I travelled that month. Yeah, so it was fantastic. And meeting you and Sue, 
and the current driver, I've seen the current uh, 42 again with the Matchams and uh, Kenny Kennedy and his family, mate. We just had an absolute ball again, and it was just, I'll be back next year. I don't know how many times I'll be back next year, but I'll be certainly back, mate. Um, I'll work with Don Moyer and see if I can come back and do the rock and race again, because I thoroughly enjoyed that. And out of that, um, I actually... Uh, have friended on Facebook, Glenn Lyle, who's got that beautiful 55 Chevrolet out of Kentucky. And uh, he was the one that I actually said it was the best thing out of Kentucky since the Colonel's Chicken. So uh, <laughs> he, he, enjoyed that, he enjoyed that remark too. <laughs> well, I, I'm so, telling you... Like, we're, I had a ball, yeah. I had a ball, yeah. Let me uh, apologize for some goofballs that were up in the booth. You know, it, it's so easy you hear somebody from australia and you have to bring out as many old uh, uh, cliches as you can possibly find i'm surprised they didn't want you to sign a midnight oil album or a Bee Gees album or you know how many times can we say kangaroo <laughs> it was so stupid um, yeah look i take it in good stride you know um i a fair bit of laughing at myself and uh, I just take things like that in stride if they're enjoying themselves let them you know that's what the whole idea is I'm enjoying myself let them enjoy themselves running but uh, I do take your sentiment and I do really appreciate your support that, that day um, of what was done and what was said to me and uh, but look um, everyone likes to have a little bit of a joke and sometimes they carry it a little bit too far so you know we'll get over it <laughs> got broad shoulders you know yeah, yeah. They, they, well, I mean, if you flipped it around, if we were doing something in Melbourne, you know, and somebody came up and asked us about the New York Yankees or about those Dallas Cowboys or, you know, how about that big building? And it's like, hey, how about talking to me as a human? <laughs> well, so... When, when you when you let, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys, one of their best quarterbacks is obviously right to Starbuck, and then Terry Bradshaw was there for a while too. Yes, and, you know when yes. you look at players like that, Emmett Smith, and these blokes who are just unbelievable, Dan Marino for the for the Dolphins, and the great, the, the absolute brilliant um, Jay Montana from the Forty ers and everything. And I was just looking up a little bit on it the other night. Lyle Alzado, who played for the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> I'd hate to have played against that bloke because I reckon you'd look at him sideways and he'd just crack your scone just for looking at him, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I love American football. That's a game that I had a go at as a kid. We had an American exchange uh, teacher at our high school in Nigeria. Wow. So he took us through the basics of uh, American football. We had a bit of a go, but it was only touch, not tackle because uh, he was a little bit afraid that without helmets and packing and everything like that, on our shoulders that we may have got ourselves injured and and then we taught him how to play Australian rules football and he said you really don't need the helmets do you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no you don't the same way, hard as a cat's head <laughs> god alright so now we are into yeah. August right now how many more races are you going to call this year Alan if any into our season now because we, we're still in winter. Um, now, this weekend I'll be travelling two and a half hours up to Mildura and I'll be calling the nostalgia racing this weekend there. 
and then I have a, a break for a couple of weeks, and then um, the 10th of September, I'll be going down to Heathcote Park, which is two and a half hours south, and I'll be uh, calling the Stelger event down there, and then I'll be emceeing and a presenter at the Pioneer Awards, where I actually get to present um, two pioneers, uh, who are blokes I watched as kids, Charlie Caruana, and Joe Taverna and a little uh, blown Cortina called Satisfaction. And I watched these gentlemen as kids, and now this bright-eyed kid is going down there to present these two legends of our sport um, a Pioneers Award. So, and then the week after that, I do the Summit Round in Mildura. Then the week after that, I do the Juniors in Mildura. So I've got a full dance card over the next month or so, mate. Wow. I mean, how many races per year do you do, Alan? Uh, on average, I do Portland, which is in the south, on a, the Victorian coast down south. Um, I do probably four or five events there a year. I do six at Wyala, which is uh, nine hours' drive from here. And I do uh, six to seven at Mildura, which is only two hours' drive from here. And then if I'm, I'm, I'm invited to any other tracks like you know Melbourne or Adelaide or something like that, I can do those. But on average, I, I go on going back to Alice Springs again. So probably around anything up to about 20 events a year um, just in my local area here. And then, because we, we close down for winter here because being in the south, and we don't get snow, but we do get what's called black ice, and that's, invi- as you know, invisible ice on the roads. And, you know, you can't race on ice. You can't race in the colder months. It's just dangerous on the tracks, so... Um, but once our track here at Swan Hill opens up again, I'll be commentating there for as many events as we can do. But at one stage, uh, a couple of years ago, I had a pretty full dance card. I was doing 36 events a year. So every, just about every weekend for seven months, I was away. You, you know, Alan, how, how many drag strips are in Australia? Uh, we don't have a real lot. In Victoria, we've got Calder Park. Uh, we've got Heathcote, and we've got Swan Hill, Mildura, and Portland. In South Australia, we're getting a, getting a new one built at Tail and Bend. And then there's Wyala, the Adelaide International Raceway. And then you've got uh, Alice Springs and Darwin in the Northern Territory. You've got Kaiwana in Western Australia. You've got Benarabi, uh, Warwick, uh, Willowbank, um, and Townsville in Northern Territory, in uh, Queensland, and you've got uh, Tamworth, Sydney, uh, Wagga have a, I use an airstrip, um, and who else have we got there in New South Wales? Uh, I think Armadale's got one. Yes, Armadale have got one as well. So we're all up, we've probably got about 25 to 26 drag strips, not all quarter mile. Uh, a few of them are all just eight mile. But um, we've got a quarter mile here at Swan Hill that we've had some problems with, and we're in the state of repair and in the restate. If you've got any very rich friends, please <laughs> give them my phone number because we, we, we do need some sponsorship and some tender loving care. And, you know, just a poor old painter here just, you know, requires a few extra dollars to fix our drag strip, please. We'll take a, a lousy million. Would be lovely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you if you've got a spare mill lying around, mate, you know I've been buying lotto tickets each week to try and do it, but that hasn't come in yet. So wow, 
sitting here with fingers crossed, yeah. You know, like it's a great. It's sorry. Go. I mean, go finish the thought because there's something coming around the bend that I want to ask you about. But I mean, that is that a big track? I mean, is that an old track? I mean, is it the biggest track in Australia? What is that one? Um, Swan Hill, my track here, which is only about twenty miles away from where I live. It's just out of. I live about twenty miles out of Swan Hill. And uh, that's the closest city to me. And uh, five mile out of town, we've got our drag strip. It is an international standard quarter mile. Um, we've got, I'll have to go back to metres here. We've got 1,720 metres of strip. You run on the 400, then you need another 800 to slow down. You always got to have twice your amount for your, your, your runoff and your break area. And we've got a little bit extra, then there's the beach at the top of that. So from the start of the burnout box to the end of the strip where we, you go into the sand pit, the, the beach, uh, you're looking at 1,720 metres, which is um, oh, it's 1,760 yards in a mile. So you're probably looking at about a mile and 100 yards or something like that, I think, just converting it. so. Wow, and it's got it's got walls all the way nearly to the beach. So we're about fifty meters off the beach with uh, wall, with safety walls all the way down. Um, we've got uh, what is it a thousand feet of concrete, then it goes to asphalt, and uh, we're lucky enough up into the breaking area, two hundred yards past the uh, quarter mile, we've got a, a slight rise of about oh, seven feet in elevation over about. Oh, 500 yards, so um, there's a slight rise which just adds to the braking a little bit, So, and that's in the braking we've got a nice nice smooth bit of land, but we've had a bit of trouble with ground movement, and um, the track, actually, to be honest with you, wasn't built properly in the first place because we had engineers who thought they were building a basketball court, not a drag strip. Mm. So, that's where it is. But, you know, a bit of a sore point, but, mate, we, uh, we're going to keep going. We're going to get it fixed up so that uh, CKIW Radio 76 <laughs> out of Detroit can come over and live stream. You know, that's... Let's give the... Do you have the address to that uh, drag strip that needs help there by your house? I mean, if yes, people I want... Do. If people want to look more into it and stuff, because did you say it was by a beach? No, no. You've got, a, you've got the sand trap at the end of the street. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, and gotcha. Yeah, and they're just called the beach because it's sand, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, close, the closest beach to it would be Lake Boga, about 20 miles away from it. Because so, we, we are here about 350 miles inland from uh, the coast. Wow. We're right on the Murray River, which is, I think is the fifth biggest river in the world. You have your Amazon Nile, Mississippi, Missouri River, and then you've got the, the no, sorry, the sixth. There's the Darling River, which is just a couple of miles up the road here. Then you've got the Murray, which is about a mile away from my house where I am now. So, and um, beautiful place, Australia. It is. It's a magic place. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, I yeah. I when I flew back here, I landed back in Australia on the Wednesday afternoon. Drove home. Uh, went back to work for three days, uh, introduced myself to my beautiful lady again, and um, said, hi, honey, do you remember me? And uh, <laughs> then jumped into another car and <laughs> drove, 
drove 1,800 miles up to um, Alice Springs and back. And, mate, the road trip up, and anyone who's done a road trip with uh, drag racing or whatever sport you're in and everything like that, you actually fall in love with your country again when you see its serene beauty. And, you know, we've had a little bit of rain here and we've gone up through the desert and, you know, just wildflowers in the desert and a little bit of water here and there. It just looks absolutely stunning. And uh, on our way back, we stayed at a place called Coobapedi, which you may have heard of. It's an opal mining town. And uh, we stayed in an underground motel that night. And then we uh, went around in the morning and uh, had a look at the underground church, which was pretty impressive too. So it looked it was like a lunar landscape driving in for about 50 miles above <laughs> and 50 miles south of it, just because there's holes everywhere where they do the opal mining. Wow. And if you, I encourage everyone to have a look on Google Earth and just write in Cuba, C-O-O-B-E-R, second word is P-E-D-Y, P -E -D -Y, in Australia. Just put that on Google Earth and you'll see exactly what I mean. It's like a lunar landscape. And that was the place we stayed at on our way back from Alice Springs. You know... Australia is... A, Sorry? Yeah, Australia is... I mean, it's got kind of everything... You know, and, and it's an unusual place only because not only does it have you in it, but I mean, we're just thinking of all these places that you were talking about, you know, mm. how, I mean, when did you start this? This couldn't, you just couldn't have started this a couple of years ago. When did you start traveling around and calling all these races? Um, it came by, um... Oh, I suppose by default or something. I was the my wife and family and I. We lived in Taree, which is up on the mid New South Wales coast of Australia. Uh, New South Wales is out on our east coast. There's Sydney, which is the capital of the state. So, about four hours above Sydney, there's a place called Taree on the Manning River. And we went up there first of all. My wife and I towed our speedboat up there many, many years ago and raced, and then. Uh, we eventually moved up to Taree and um, I became the president of the Manning River Aquatic Association, which holds the biggest speed speedboat event in Australia. And uh, we had uh, a commentator who worked for us for a couple of days and couldn't come in the third day because he was crook. So, uh, or sick, he was feeling he had an ailment. I think it was alcohol induced, but <laughs> that's beside the point. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So okay. he couldn't work. So my race secretary, Jeff Javel, hell of a nice man, got there and said, what are we going to do? And the boats were coming out. He said, someone's got to call it. And I picked up the microphone. And because I knew the drivers, I knew the boats, I knew what engines they had in them and everything like that, I just started calling them. So I ended up calling the whole day. And um, it was fantastic. I loved it. And I got a lot of compliments and everything like that. Um, just because of my knowledge of the boats and what they had in them, you know, their gearbox, uh, their gears and the gearbox, etc., like that, the cubic inch of the engines, etc., and who the drivers were and where they from, you know. Yeah. And it was just something that you get passionate about, and I had just a fabulous time doing it. And then being the president of the club, I emceed the presentation that night and uh, had a lot of fun there with my Commodore, who was a really good mate of mine, Vic Curry, terrific guy. 
and you know we became you know Laurel and Hardy and <laughs> up on the stage that night presenting the prizes. Um, Vic and say something stupid and I'll bloody join in and we just had a good time and and then um, a couple of weeks later Grant Jones uh, uh, Greg Jones who was the show society president asked me if I would uh, work with him and MC a charity night and it kind of started from there and then I did a car show and then it went on and then we moved down to here down to Swamp Hill area and a friend of mine I'd known for years down here said oh they're looking for a commentator at the Speedway so I went to the Speedway that night and I started commentating and I did that for 20 years. And I was going to Mildura for the drag racing, which is only two hours up the track here because that's where I grew up and I've got mates up there. And uh, the commentator up there uh, couldn't make it. So Russell, my best mate up there, got there and said, oh, Wardy's a commentator. So I've now been commentating at um, Mildura for 24 years. And it's coming up to 20 years at Wyala and what, 10 years at Portland, so uh, it's, plus I used to do the go-karts here, I did the motorcycles, uh, I did the, the Mallee Rally, which is an off-road uh, event, and went to Griffith and did it there, went to Finley and did it there, so it was just something that I tripped over and haven't stopped, and the passion is still there, and I just love doing it, and anyone who can come in and have fun with me, you know, that's what it's all about. It's, it, I look at it as John. I oh, know I talk a lot, but it's a job. It's not. It, it's not a job. I should say it's a passion, and I love doing it. You know. I mean, that's. Um, I mean, how many tracks have you not did in Australia? Uh, I haven't done Sydney. I haven't done anything in New South Wales. Uh, but I've done a lot of power boats up there because we raced at Taree, naturally. We raced in Sydney at the St. George Motorboat Club there. Um, we raced at Windsor. So I was on the microphone, not all the way as, as a commentator, but as a guest and presenter, etc., like that, because I was president of the Aquatic uh, Association, etc. But, um, you know, just... And I went to Norwalk. I got invited to go to Norwalk, um... Over there, there was a bit of confusion over there. Evan Bader uh, invited me to come over there and uh, be a commentator. And I got there and no one knew I was coming. Evan wasn't there. So that was a little bit of a, a fall over. But with the no static radio people out of Cleveland, we must have done about 150 interviews through the pits that weekend. So that was a bit of live streaming and um, interviews. And that was a lot of fun. I ran into a very good friend of mine over there, Camp Stanley. Uh, camps are legion in drag racing over there, and I ran into another good mate of mine who I met in Mildura 20 years ago, Stevie Easton, and Steve's still in America uh, racing. I only actually talking to him about a week ago. Um, he's a really good guy and a funny bugger. Um, and I met a lot of people, you know, the Gagan family over there. I met Cammy Edelbrock, which was a real thrill for me. Uh, Edelbrock had their... Um, big uh, caravan there and their, their big gazebo and all their engines and etc. like that in the place. And I looked at this lady and I said, geez, I know her from somewhere. And it, it clicked back and then I saw her name, Cammy. So I went over and introduced myself to her. And we had a good chat for about five or ten minutes and she was really inviting and really lovely, you know. So yeah, it was nice to meet her, you know, a legend of motorsports type of thing, you know, with Victor Edelbrock and her, and her daughter, Cammy, you know. Yeah. But, 
Uh, and that's one thing I really love about the microphone too, John, is you've probably found this out yourself. It's an invitation into any pit. You know, you can walk in there and just interview a driver or a rider or someone in the pit and you've got an instant friend and that's what I absolutely love about it. It's just, you know, it, it's changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, it's given me notoriety that I don't seek, but it just comes with it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I'm not something, I'm Alan Ward who loves talking on the microphone, having a good time, that's it. Um, I'm not, um, you know, some big bloody blowhard bloody commentator, even though a lot of people know <laughs> who I am. But I'll, just, I'll just go out there and have fun. Just go out there and have fun. And that's what it's all about, you know? Yeah, because we ran into that, didn't we? Uh, we ran yeah. into blowhard commentators. And, kiddies, if you want to know what we're talking about, we left on our Facebook page at CKWI Radio 76. Here, here's the story of 42 in Rock and Race this year. Alan is is doing a fine job by himself. He needed no pals. And then all of a sudden, these two guys, and we're going to call them 105 because that's evidently the one of the radio stations, and we give it a wink when we say that, uh, came up into the booth, and man, were they ever big stuff in it. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been in radio for years, and I've had this and that, and, you know, scoot out of the way. We're on three broadcast stations and stuff. And in our estimation, they were horrible. They were crappy, <laughs> down to the point where Alan would try to talk, and then Mr. Big Stuff would try to top him over. And he sucked so bad that we were going to eliminate all these videos but at a production meeting we had right afterward, we said, no, what? Leave them. Because you see the contrast between somebody who's really shitty and then you see Alan. And, and, <laughs> and Alan is just sitting back going, all right, dude, hang yourself. Go ahead. And then at the end of the day, we found out these guys... They don't own the radio station. They're not a big deal in the Cleveland market. You know, they literally buy time on an AM station to do all kinds of, of things like, like travel and food. And they came up as some kind of big deal uh, automobile people. And we're looking over to them. And it's like, look, dork, you're trying to go over the great... Alan Ward, this should be fine. It's kind of like it, he had to have a wiener contest, and he was trying to hit the wall with it, <laughs> trying to stretch it as far as he could. You know, and Alan's just sitting back going, anytime, dude, stop. It, yeah. it, they, they were big noting themselves, as you said, but um, I just thought, well, you were right there at one stage there, I would try and explain something, and he would just totally cut me out. So I thought, ah, oh, shut up, I'll just, you know, let him have a go, you know. So I just kind of sat back and just listened to him and everything, and some things they said were, were quite interesting, and other things they said, I thought, do you actually know what you're talking about? <laughs> so I'm not saying, I'm, actually, I'm not the, the be-all and end-all, please don't get me wrong, anyone listening? No, you can, that's okay. Sport. I love the sport, and I'm still learning about the sport because you know, the day you stop learning is the day you die, you know, Tommy. But 
these blokes, you know, some of the stupid things they were saying when he started talking about screw blowers and everything like that and fuel injection. And, and I thought, hang on. Yeah. And uh, he got there and he said, oh, you know, fuel injection was only invented in, I think he said, 1959. And I thought, really? 59? Well, you bet, you, yeah, you better tell Mr. Messerschmitt, Mr. and R.W. Mitchell and Rolls-Royce about that because I think they had fuel injection on their aircraft engines, and then you go back to the Bentleys back in about 1923, and I think they had fuel injection and supercharged by them. So, you know, I thought, someone hasn't done their homework then, but I thought, no, shut up, Al. So, but anyway, you know, I enjoyed myself, and if they enjoyed themselves, you know, that's a good thing. But um, like I said, John, I'm not Mr. Know-it-all and everything like that, but there's a lot of subjects I can talk on, pure and simply. And you can probably do it yourself purely and simply because you're passionate about them, you know. Um, and sport's one of my greatest passions, and the engineering works, you know, like uh, World War Two aeroplanes and everything, and you know, all that type of stuff just interests me to know. And I was, I was, I joined the Royal Australian Air Force in 1974, did my trade there, and I did 12 years in the Air Force, and absolutely loved it, you yes. know. Um, I got friends for life from there, you know, so. That's what I look at, mate. I look at all the positive things in life and get up and look at this beautiful sunrise and go to work, have a great day, and then come home and look at the beautiful sunset, have a bag of lollies and go to bed. <laughs> I mean, do you have your schedule for 2023 starting to fill up already? Yeah, um, I've got six meetings at Wyala I've got to do, and they start in October. Um, and then there's Mildura, uh, there'll probably be, there'll be Portland, a couple in Portland. Um, and then, uh, Calder Park won't be running for a while, but I'll be doing one at Heathcote in a month, which is only a couple of, uh, a couple of hours south. But, um, yeah, look, I, I'm looking, I'm quite happy to go wherever people would like me to go. I really did enjoy the Alice Springs trip. We, uh, I met a couple of young blokes up there, Sean McCabe and uh, Josh Graveling. They were my co or I was their co-commentators up there. And it was the first time I ever worked with them. And they, uh, Josh was 19 years old, and I've nicknamed him the kid for obvious reasons. And really easy-going sort of a kid who's going to be a great commentator in years to come. Uh, because the old saying is the more you do it, the better you become. And he's got a lot of talent. He's enthusiastic. He's passionate about it. So he'll go a long way, young Josh. And Sean comes out of Perth in Western Australia. And he's been commentating for a lot of years. And a very good commentator, quite knowledgeable and quite funny too. So you know, um, he was funny without being a comedian. And that's what you've got to do. You know, you can't try and be the comedian, as you well know. Yeah, it's I mean... the hardest thing in the world is the... Well, you're right. There's there's some guys that try to be so clever and try to, and they think they're witty and they're telling like uh, 80 year old jokes that are so stale it have mold on it, you know. And then they're exactly. expecting everybody to like laugh and things, and it's nothing but groan. Yeah. Well, that's why they, that's why they're called bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but- <laughs> Yeah, you wish the guy was dead who was talking. There was a there was a documentary made probably 30, 40 years ago. Burt Reynolds actually hosted it. It was a great show. It was called The Gift of Laughter. 
And on his introduction, he came out and he said, the hardest thing in the world to do is to make a person laugh. Mm. And when you really think of it, if you try and think of something funny, unless you're highly intelligent and very, very witty, it takes a fair bit to get a person to laugh. But if you see something and you can associate with something that you think is funny, and you've got to look at yourself, do you all have a good sense of humour or don't you all have a good sense of humour? If you don't have a good sense of humour, don't try and portray that little bit of funny there like that. Just do the job, you know. But if you've got a good sense of humour, you see something funny and you know it's funny, tell them about it. Because the, the idea of my commentary is to make people have a good time and make them laugh, you know. Is, but not be a comedian, just have a, have a bit of fun, you know. Yeah, because it's a hard gig to do because you are talking to people who are sitting in the sun for hours and hours, and sometimes right. there's nothing going on. Now, all of a sudden, mm. it the burden shifts to the announcer to keep everybody light, to keep everybody up, to keep everybody interested. And that means somebody like Al, if not Al himself, has to be fast on his feet to think, okay, how do I fill this time? Yeah, um, that's where I use a lot of driver profiles, etc. And I ask drivers to come up or I will get down with a roving microphone and, as you know, distribute red frogs. Uh, I bought some more today, so I had to take them during this weekend. But um, that was something that happened out of my strip. You know, um, for people who don't know, their red frogs are a, um, a raspberry-flavoured lolly uh, candy in the shape of a frog. So, red frog. And now, I brought them over with me, and the amount of people, that, even Susie Martin, you're lovely lady there, Sue, mm-hmm. wants a bag of red frogs over, so I'm going to be sending them over to you very soon, so you'll see red frogs in Detroit soon. But uh, it started out, when you go to a meeting, if you're a competitor, you go to the credentials office and you hand your paperwork in, you do your entry form, etc., like that, and while you're doing that, they give you a pen and paper, you go and sit down and write it out, and there's usually you know, some lollies on the counter, something like that, like a mint or something. So what I did is I bought a packet of minties, and a packet of red frogs, and they had they had a truckload of minties in there. So I thought, right, I won't put the red frogs in there. So I walked around the pit that morning and just handed out red frogs. Just you know, walk out the bag, red frog, you know, red frog, red frog. And people thought, oh, this is a little bit of fun. And I thought a lot of people re- reacted to it. So the next meeting, a week later, I took a bag of red frogs up there to Mildura. I walked around with a bag of red frogs. Everything. I thought, oh, this is great. This is great. You know, and now. Um, that's part of uh, the old joke is, where's the red frogs? You're not coming if you don't have the red frogs, you know? You're not allowed <laughs> in if you don't have the red frogs. So everywhere I go, I take a big, uh, what is it, about three pounds of red frogs with me. And, you know, it's enough to feed an army type of thing, but <laughs> it puts a smile on people's faces and relaxes them. And, you know, it's just a bit of fun. That's all it is. Um, so that's... That's a story of the red frogs, and um, I don't know. Um, I've said it a couple of times over there, and people probably look at me strange for saying it, but I'll get there and say, you know, can we have all the drivers down in front of the tower for drivers meeting, please? Thank you. Love you all. And that little love you all catch cry <laughs> is stuck with me. And that, that happened about 20 years ago at Mildura. I was interviewing a driver there, Brian Oliver. 
and a good friend of mine and her husband walked past and she blew me a kiss and she goes, love you well. And I said, love you too. And then I looked up at Brian and said, love you too, Brian. And I looked there and there's people looking at me because we're in the middle of the picnic <laughs> on the microphone. So I just said, I love you all. So that became a little thing. People were walking past me and they're going, yeah, we love you too, well." So that became a little thing after a few announcements through the day, not after every announcement, but you get the insight. You know, can Freddie, Freddie Brown go and see Bill Smith on the starting line? Thanks, Mike. Good on you, Mike. Love you all, you know. And that just became a little uh, thing. And the, the uh, small video I sent to you and Sue of my good mate Mark Coon and I at Alice Springs, you might have heard us say it at the end of it. Love you all. <laughs> and that's just been a catch cross. And all it is is just have a bit of fun. That's what it is, mate. Just have fun. Yeah, and considering and that uh, you're commentating on one of the most tense sports around, so many bad things could happen. You know, and, and that's right. I'm sure that you've probably seen something in your years of doing this that made you hold your breath, but yet now you better keep everybody calm. You know, it's like, that's good, folks, let the exactly. ambulance come. I mean, is there one that, that kind of sticks out in your head that you go, man, I'm glad I don't have to do that again? Um, it's a very good thing that you brought up there about being calm and keeping people calm. I was gifted as a kid with the greatest father on earth. Now, my father, we had an auntie who was an epileptic and she would take fits. And, you know, we're three and four and five and six-year-old kids watching our auntie have a fit. And yeah. so my mother and my father used to get there and they would lay Pat down and they would hold her with her head on, on your chest and she would, unfortunately, she would be sweating and dribbling and everything. So you'd get a cloth and just wipe her face and tell her everything was going all right and give her a kiss on the forehead and everything. And just say, it's going to be all right, Auntie Pat. It's going to be all right, you know. And she would come out of it terribly embarrassed. And Mum or Dad would help her and clean her up. And my uncle would help her clean her up and everything like that. But one thing, one valuable thing I learned from that, Dad said to me one day, he said, son, always be the calmest person in the room. He said, because if you can't think, you can't help. And it stuck with me for all those years. And then when I became a commentator, Unfortunately, being a commentator, you're the luckiest person in the world to get to see every accident, you know? Yeah. It's not a good thing, but um, soon as something happens like that, you'll hear me say, authorised personnel only, please. No spectators. We want first responders there only. Authorised personnel only to the accident, please. And I'll say that so many times to keep people away, the spectators away from it. Uh, as you may have remembered on the Saturday uh, when that little Willie's coot came from the left lane into the right <laughs> lane and started to yeah. sideways. And I think his name was Chris Hagen in the Falcon. He had no he had no alternative. He was going down flat out and his car came across in front of him. He, he braked and he, then he actually touched the car and turned the car into the wall so it wouldn't roll over. So he actually... So what could be, he did something so quick thinking that could have saved a horrific accident. And what he did when the cars came to a halt, he got out of his car, he ran around to the rear of the other car, he turned everything off, then he went around and attended to the driver and helped the driver get out of the car. And that driver, I think he probably realised how lucky he was with, with the bloke in the other car 
who actually pushed him into the wall to stop his car from rolling over. And that thinking, to me, that is just unbelievable. That's fighter pilot thinking, you know, where the evasive action was taken and it was just a split second. So there's a very, very calm mind and calm enough to get out of his own car, which he would have switched off, and run around to the two points on the back, turn the fuel off and turn the power off to the other car. That, to me, was smart thinking straight away. You know, because he didn't know whether there was a ruptured fuel line or anything like that. So the first thing he did was turn a fuel pump off and turn power off. So, you know, that to me was just, that's brilliant. That's the stuff I love about the sport, with, uh, especially when other people, other competitors, look after other competitors like that. You know, that's, that's, that's a gift that man's got. And that's something he can live with for the rest of his life. That he could have saved a man's life that day. You know? Yeah. It, it's amazing that how much stuff you spend time-wise up in the booth. I mean, how much time do you spend, Alan, in the pits talking to the people or talking to the racers and drivers there as opposed to just staying up and doing the commentary? Um, well, you, I, used, I walk around the pits every morning um, with the bag of frogs, and that's how I get all my information. Every and single time. And driver... Pretty much every single time, every wow. time I go to a drag race, I'll walk around the pits to say good day to old friends and meet new ones. And what I learn from that is, uh, you know, like Timmy Stewart put a new engine in his car. Mate, how's the new engine going? Or what cubic inches? What blower you got on top? You know, etc. like that. So he'll give me a quick rundown of, say, 30 articles on the car. And out of that, I only need three or four to tell to the people because then the next car's coming in, and I've got to tell them something about that. So uh, it's just, I'm very lucky I've got a, a very good memory. And um, it, it's just those little things, plus, uh, as I keep coming back to, it's the passion I have for the sport that helps me. I mean... Um, you know, we Sorry? Yeah, you know, it's as we listen to you and see all this stuff going on, I mean, have you ever had an agent? I mean, how do you keep all this stuff straight? I know walking around the pits, man, that's the reason why we send Sue, because she's got the better brain capacity. You know, it's like, it's hard if you don't write things down, if we don't take pictures and go, oh, okay, it's that guy with the uh, 82. To uh, Chevrolet that that just put in a new motor in his car. How do you remember all that? Um, I've got a, 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 as I said, I've been gifted with a great memory. Um, I can recall conversation, um, people's names. Um, you know, you ask me a question. If I know the answer, I'll probably give you the history of the answer. You know, um, it's just one of those things that I'm. Uh, things I'm interested in, I'm very passionate about everything like that. I, I've got this, um, this this gift where I can retain it. Um, I, the, my first drag race meeting was at Adelaide International in 1972, and there was a gentleman over there driving a double A fuel rail, uh, which was your old top fuel or your original top fuel cars. By the name of Jim Reed, it was a Chesterfield cigarette rail, and he uh, completed the run at 223 miles an hour, and we thought. Wow, we're never going to see anything quicker than this. Then America's Don Gartlett's two weeks later does 250 miles an hour at Phoenix. And we were blown away here in Australia. Then 12 months later, Gartlett's comes to Australia and hits 250 miles an hour at Castle Ray, the old strip up of Sydney, which is 
now no more. But we're just blown away. Then Fred Mooneyhan and Henry Harrison came out in the Vulture and the LA Hooker, the funny cars. And it's the first time I've ever seen funny cars doing half-track burnouts. And we were blown away. That was something new to Australia in the 70s. And there was a, a one meeting there. I watched this gentleman who I now know and regard him as a really good friend and a close friend, it was Jim Walton. Now, Jim had a, a fuel altered called Hard Gower. And Jimmy's not a big man. He's only about five foot five tall. But I, I introduce him. If you put 10,000 horsepower in a shopping cart, this bloke could drive it, you know. <laughs> and I have the pleasure now, just through this microphone, of meeting people that I absolutely idolised as a kid back in the 70s, you know. And, you know, Tommy Easton. Uh, I've met Tom so many times and become good mates with him. And, you know, I've met Jim Reed, who was the gentleman who did the, the, the big run in the 72 Spring Nationals, you know, and I think... I've met this bloke now and he's talked to me and he's called me Alan and everything like that. You know, I, you know, you, you just have the excitement and the glee of a little kid. And, it, you know, I'm 65 years old and I hope I never lose that excitement and glee, you know? Yeah. But, but um, um, Dad raced powerboats, I raced powerboats. Um, I got into power, the administration and running meetings as the president and my wife was the secretary of the Powerboat Association for a while. Uh, we moved down here. I just continued my commentary and everything. Um, and, you know, my wife kind of took a little bit of a backseat to that. She was a very shy lady. Unfortunately, my wife died six years ago of cancer. Um, and she was a gorgeous little lady, absolutely stunning beauty and just, you know, the love of my life. She was everything I ever wanted. But um, unfortunately, Terry died of cancer. So my life had to start again. And I've been very fortunate uh, for the last three years. The lady I'm with now, her name's Claire. She's an absolutely, she is a glamorous, beautiful, stunning woman uh, who's very caring and everything like that. And she laughs at me a lot. And I love that, you know. <laughs>, laughs at you? Okay. Yeah. And, you know, like, you, you can't laugh at anyone else unless you're going to laugh at yourself, you know. And right. You know, don't take don't take things too serious, and don't take yourself too serious. There's things you've got to take serious in life, and you can handle them at the time. Then, once the seriousness is over, like that, it's get back to living because you're only here for a short time. You know the old saying: "Vanishing point can be just around the corner." So. If that is, is there any car that you would like to have dry or driven? I mean, is there any car on the drag strip that you would say, "Let me get in the seat and drive that thing." Uh, I'd like to have a go on my mate's supercharged outlaw. That's the 59 vet that you might have seen glimpses of in that little uh, video. It's a 59 super, uh, it's a 427 Allen Johnson uh, super, uh, supercharged Chevrolet. It's in a 1959 Chevrolet Corvette, which is you know all um, got a big wing on the back and everything. It's a beautiful car. That's my mate. But one of the things on my bucket list is to have a go on a top fuel drag boat. Now, it would probably never happen, but that would be a uh, thing. And I would love to have a go in a rocket car on a land speed record. <laughs> Just, okay. You know, speed is a rush, you know. Um, it takes time to come down from it. It really does. Um, 
I've got four cars of my own. Um, I have three homes. One of them is my uh, station wagon or a wagon. I don't know what you would call them in a, uh, in a, state, wa- in a state car or something. Where it's got four doors and a, a, a bit of a wagon area at the back. Um, that's my work car. I've got a 1995 Holden Special Vehicle Club Sport, which is a sports car. It's a four-door, uh, what would you call it? The equivalent to uh, probably a touring car. And I have a 1995 Holden Bellina, which is just a little bit of a luxury car. And then I've got a Veloster, a, a little uh, Hyundai Veloster that I do a lot of travelling around in because it's, it's small, it goes like buggery, and it's cheap to run, and it's comfortable. <laughs> so if you're keeping score at home, that means somehow, some way, Mr. Ward has to have a mansion that has at least a five-car garage. So you kind of figure out exactly how big this house is. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you're my mansion. Yeah, my mansion. Yeah, yeah my mansion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, See? Look, I, live, I live on a very modest 10 acres. It was a, an apricot orchard. Um, we weren't making any money out of the orchards. Uh, as the orchard because we didn't have enough trees to make a living out of. Yeah. So that was just a little byproduct. But um, I love where I live. It's about, 30, about 20 miles out of town. It's very peaceful. Uh, as you may have heard in that video I sent with the kangaroos, the bird life around here. I feed magpies every morning and every evening. And I have anything up to about a mob of 50 kangaroos living on my place and my neighbour's place. Uh, and they've been here for probably 20 years now, the Kangas. Um, uh, it's a great place to live. It really is. Every every part of the world has got their beautiful places, but it's un- beauty is in the eye of the beholder too. So, uh, yeah. um, I love it where I live. I, I have a very modest little four-bedroom house. Um, I've got a four-car garage, and I've got a, uh, what is it, a 20, 25 foot by 50 foot shed which is full of my kids furniture because <laughs> dad can you look after this yeah just put it in there yeah I'll, I'll come and get it soon nine years later when are you getting that stuff oh soon yeah so i've, that's, I've got one of my, one of my cars in there uh, the other cars the other three cars are in the four car carport and i've got a, a massey ferguson 35 tractor with it's got a slasher on the back which i like to drive around occasionally to try and keep the lawns down a bit. So, I mean, um, yeah, that's my. Sorry. Yeah, we're just listening in, and it's like we're we're going, and it's like, all right, a, how many days a week are you home in season? I mean, you're home for three days, and um, then you travel for five. For five. Wow. Uh, for four and a half days, I'm usually home and traveling on the weekends. Um, I leave on Friday afternoon to drive to Mildura, which is only two and a half hours away. And then I'll be back here late Saturday night. After the meeting's finished, I'll drive home Saturday night because Claire and myself, we will drive back an hour up the road to a place called Robinvale because they're having the Almond Blossom Festival on up there. Uh, so we want to go and have a look at the flowers. And, um, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a festival in a small town. Uh, we've got a, a Lampertina's top fuel team will be up there because uh, they live just out of Robinvale with their carrot farm. So 
um, you know, I'll run into Phil and I'll probably run into a couple of blokes I used to play football with many, 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 gee, 45 years ago. <laughs> wow. But uh, that's, that's this weekend. So one of my great passions, John, is driving. I don't mind getting behind a wheel and just driving and driving and driving. It's um, time to think, time to look at the beautiful countryside you're driving through. And it's just either time by yourself or with someone in the car having a laugh. Because uh, yeah, we're, we're going to so, say, what do you do on your time off when you're not packing, when you're not at a strip, when you're not coming home from the strip? I mean, what do you do on a Wednesday? If you had a, a perfect situation, what would be a Wednesday for Alan Ward to be like? Um, I'd love to, on a Wednesday, if we could, I'd take Claire out for dinner somewhere. Um, but usually because of my work, I'm a painter by trade. I did my trade in the Air Force, in the Royal Australian Air Force. We were called surface finishers. <laughs> pretty fancy name. Pretty pretty fancy name for a cake decorator. We, used to say. <laughs> but, uh, we painted everything from supersonic aeroplanes to white lines on the road and everything in between. So uh, currently, I do houses. I'm working on a 110 year old house at the moment and uh, transforming that. And it's a beautiful place. I'm really enjoying doing this one. And then I'll start another job um, probably next week, and I'll be just doing some a kitchen and the exterior of another house and then I've got to do two uh, three other houses before Christmas uh, two of those are weatherboard houses uh, which I'm looking forward to doing them because I love doing the old stuff you know just you can transform it make it look beautiful again um, but when I'm not, I work Monday to Fridays and then travel you know Friday afternoon sometimes I Friday if I'm travelling to Wyala because uh, that's a nine hour drive but, um, yeah, look, I've got enough things to fill in the time. I like some tonight I don't sleep, so Netflix gets a fair old hiding through the <laughs> night, you know? I mean, how much but, sleep um, do you do you get a day, on an average day? Um, yeah, six hours. Wow. And you can pack yeah. all that stuff in? That's amazing. Yeah, it's just what you get used to. Um, you know, it's... My father wasn't a very good sleeper. Uh, he could survive on three and four hours a night sometimes. Wow. Um, yeah, um, unfortunately for Dad. <laughs> and I've met other people that's in the life who have, you know, survived on three and four and five hours a night. And um, my, the luxury I have here um, is some nights I can come home from work and if I feel tired, and especially during the winter when it gets dark pretty early, and it's cold, and I've got my fire going and everything. Um, I have the luxury of cooking myself a bit of dinner, just going into bed, say, about 7 o'clock, jumping into bed and just snoring off till I get up in the morning. <laughs> so, you know, you, you've only got one plate, one pan, a uh, couple of utensils and a, and a cup to wash, so, so it's not as if I'll be up all night doing dishes kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, look, I've got a good life, mate the death of my wife and my parents and a few close relatives and some really good friends, I've had the best life that anyone could ask for. Um, I love what I do. I love my trade and I certainly love the drag racing and the, the big thing I think, the one thing about drag racing is it's not only the drag racing, it's the people you meet. 
and yeah. you know meeting you and Sue has broadened my friendships horizons for the future now. <laughs> and you know and and, and seeing yeah. Ken and uh, Denise Kennedy and the Dillingham family uh, in Cleveland and Wanda Johnson and having Wanda and Todd invite me down to be part of the winner's circle on Saturday night. That was a, that, you know, just blew my mind. That was just so nice and they're beautiful people. And then another family over there, Rick and Crystal Costick and their boys Chuck and Mike came out on the Friday night and cooked dinner for me. And it's worth travelling 13,000 miles to go and see people like that. Because they're beautiful people, you know, and I've met them through drag racing. I've met you because of drag racing, and you know, I think we've got. Hopefully, we'll have a great friend and and bright future, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. It is amazing for the people, and we've talked about this for years and years years here. You know, drag racers are a kind of a different breed to the point where if you're racing a gentleman in the or a lady in the other lane, and something breaks. If you have a part, you would will that to the other person so they could race, as opposed to saying, "Oh, too bad, you know, you broke, I win." It's it's a unique. You can go up just about to just about unless people are really thrashing on their engine. If if uh, people are sitting in front of their cars, they'll talk to you all day about your about their car, about everything. They'll let you hop in, take pictures, do your thing, man. And and, and that's not in every single sport, and it's certainly not in every single motorsport. Try, don't try to do that at F one. <laughs> no, no. I think Bernie Eccleston might put his foot on that, mightn't Yeah. Um, all those gentlemen out there, you know, I, I can't, I can't actually see Lewis Hamilton lending Sebastian Vettel a carburetor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, a gasket. You know? yeah. Alan, I mean, is there anybody you haven't met yet that you'd really like to? Um, I'd like to meet. Uh, I'd like to meet Tony Shoemaker. Wow. We were Phoenix as spectators. Um, and Tony and his father, Don, were there with the car, the Go Army fuel car. And Tony impressed me out of sight, just the way he drove the car that day. Um, it, they came out around about 3 in the afternoon, and Tony broke the world record for miles an hour over a 1,000 feet. And I think by memory it was 335.1 mile an hour. And then the very next run... Clay Millican came out and did 335.4 and broke the record again. So we saw two world records in a matter of five minutes being broken. And that was a big thing to us. So we went for a pit down, a walk through uh, Nitro Alley and John Force was there, who was an amazing bloke. And we spoke to Richie Crampton, who was driving for the Coletta team. Now, Richie is an Australian. And uh, I, I know his parents out here, Alan, and his wife, lovely wife, uh, and a good mate of mine, Sean Kennedy, owns Richie's old station wagon, which has got a blown big block Chevrolet in it. So I was talking to Richie about that. We are having a good laugh and everything. And then we went back and sat in the stands, and the fuel cars came out again, and Tony Schumacher came out and did a 336-mile-an-hour run and broke the record again. And this is at five o'clock at night, and it was freezing cold, and the track must have been like a skating rink. And he just went down there. We were sitting in the stands, and we could feel the heat coming off the candles as the car went past us. So he had the foot down. 
And then the commentator spoke to Don Schumacher and he said, how do you do things like that? And he said, you set the car to the track. Yeah. And that's all he said. <laughs> and, sure. You know, everyone, you know, everyone's kind of looking at Don Schumacher and say, you set the car to the track, don't you? Do this and do that. No, you set the car to the track. The car's just done something wonderful. Don't change it. Just set the car to the track, right? Do we put more air in the tyres? Do we bleed a little bit of power out of it? Do we bleed a little bit more power into it? Do we, you know, put our tongue in the right side of our mouth this time, or do we put it in the roof of our mouth? Do we blink once? Do, do we do our ritual backwards, you know? You don't change things, you just set the car to the track. And, you know, they run out there with their ray guns, they check the temperature on the track, they check the temperature on the burnout, uh, on the tyres, on the, before the burnout, after the burnout, to see how much pressure they got in the tyres. It's just the technical side of drag racing is unbelievable. I love it. It really is to watch these gentlemen just get the best out of a car and the best out of themselves. It's just, it's humans at their best. The, the only people who can beat a drag racer are people who can do heart transplants and lung transplants. They amaze me, doctors, you know. You know, you know, you know the old saying, here in Australia, if a bloke's got a crook heart, mate, you unzip him, put a can of Melbourne bitter inside him, zip it back <laughs> up, and he'll be right with a ball In your case, though, there'd be unzipping, put a can of Budweiser in him, zip him up, and he'll walk home, you know? No, put a can of Budweiser in, he'd die before he got off the table. Anyways, uh, in, in the few seconds that we got here in the wonderful world of Alan Ward, where can people see you next, Alan? Uh, we'll be on on the Nostalgias this weekend. Uh, you can look on a Facebook page called Drag Racing Central. Um, uh, you can subscribe to that, and uh, you'll hear me and Mark Humphrey, my mate. We've been doing it together now for about seven years, and uh, uh, it's been a free show. He's had uh, to outlay a fair bit of money to get some new cameras and some equipment. So we're asking for um, a, a sign-up, subscribe on it uh, to help him get some of his money back because he's been doing it nothing for seven years. Mm. And once he leaves Mildura this weekend, he's driving to Benarabi in Queensland. So he's got himself about a 1,500 to nearly 2,000 kilometre drive up to Benarabi to do the Wild Bunch up there. Then he lives in Geelong, which is on the south coast of Victoria on the southern part of Australia. So... He's got a fair bit of driving, and it all comes out of his own pocket. So all he's asking is if, if anyone can, if they could subscribe to the channel of Drag Racing Central on Facebook. Um, and you'll see that there's a couple of checkered flags and a few drag cars in the picture. And we'll be at Mildura at the Sunset Strip in Mildura um, within the Felders, starting at 10 o'clock Australian Eastern Standard Time on Saturday morning. Wow. Okay. That's where I'll be, right? Yeah. So, yeah. next... And, uh, go ahead. You go, yeah, yeah. I mean, next time you come to America, as far as you know, is when? Um, I'll probably be over there in July, August next year, because they're our cold months here. June, July, August are our really coldest months where we don't do a lot of drag racing in the south. Um, we're only just starting up now because we're starting to get into the warmer months. But um, this has been a really cold and wet winter this year. We've gone through that cycle where heavy rains in my area here, our annual rainfall here 
is only five to six inches a year, and already we've had anything up to 14, 15 inches. So, wow. um, that, and we had this cycle about seven years ago when we uh, had high river and uh, minor flooding, and then six years, the seven years before that, we did have flooding, and then you go back another six years to that, you know, this cycle of six to seven years that we have of flooding. I don't know what people think about climate change, but um, I find it hard to believe that some of the, the rubbish that's said about it, I believe in things going into the future like electric cars and such like that. You've got to have technology continue to grow to make it a better world and everything, but I think there's a lot of money being made by people telling a few poor pies about climate change. But anyway, that's only my opinion. That's only my opinion. You'll probably get your, your switchboard light up saying that's mm. the funniest Australian thing I've ever seen. All right. It, anyway. If they want to light up your your. your your switchboard with like the really we got about seven seconds left where can they find you on facebook alan uh just alan ward a-l-a-m-w-a-r-d and my profile picture the two profile pictures are me holding a microphone i'm wearing black and my cap uh there's a i'm holding twin microphones which is a track microphone and drag racing central live stream microphone and then the profile picture behind that on Facebook is, is the Swan Hill Drag Racing uh, strip. So just Alan Ward, A-L-A-N-W-A-R-D, and you'll see that picture there. Alan Ward Australia, if you like, whatever. Uh, put it in, but you'll be able to see it. Just wearing all black with my cap, and uh, I've got the microphones <laughs> in my hand. And if anyone would like to contact me, uh, uh, please send me a messenger. And uh, then we can uh, uh, become friends on Facebook and everything. I've always asked for as many friends as I can for the simple reason not to be very popular and all this rubbish and everything. Like, you know, popular on Facebook. All I want to do is uh, promote drag racing to as many people as I can, John. That's what my sport I love, you know. The job well done, yeah, Alan. That's right. Well, you should be in bed. I mean, now you've been with us for an hour and six minutes. Shouldn't you be? And I think your time, you're almost coming up to midnight, aren't you? Uh, it's about 10 past 11 now. 10 past <laughs> 11 at night on, uh, what is it, Tuesday night here. And it's 8 o'clock Tuesday morning there, or 9 o'clock Tuesday morning in Detroit. All right, yeah. Now, all, of, all, all your friends listening in, are they Detroitians or... Uh, what, you know, Detroiters, Swahili, yeah. They're, they're, they're called Swahilians here. <laughs> Swahilians. Swahilians. So what have you got over here? You got, have you got Detroitians or... Detroiters. Uh, Detroit Detroiters. Detroiters. Yeah, Detroiters, right. Detroit yeah. Detroit or, yeah, we're, yeah, we don't go real fancy. It's we're a Detroiter and there you go. <laughs> yeah. Alan, thanks so and, much for being with like, us. You know, we we really do appreciate it. I know that we had to work out the the time factor a whole lot, and and we're so glad that you stayed up really late to uh, be worldwide with us today. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it, and I hope your listeners uh, have enjoyed our conversation. I certainly have. Well, and mate, I really look, I, I look forward to doing this again with you any time you want to. You know, I'm quite happy. Well, now that um, we figured it all yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. And then the podcast, just to let you know, and our listeners know the podcast will be up in, uh, let's see, today's 8.16, so it should be up by Wednesday uh, noon. So then if, if you missed 
just any part of today's interview with the outstanding Alan Ward, then you'll be able to hear the whole nine yards. Go to Podbean. We'll have it up on our Facebook page. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, John. The whole nine yards. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sir. Hey, John, thank you, thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate all, my, all your my uh, the audience who have been listening. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. And as I sign off, I love you all. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. See you soon, sir. Good on you, John. Bye now. Thanks, Mike. Bye bye. He's an amazing guy, isn't he? I mean, everything that you heard right there. I mean. Yeah, Alan could, he is immensely popular. If you don't know who he is, it's only because you don't live in Australia and now he's making kind of headways into here. You know, but it, the genuineness that you heard from him right there is exactly who he is. Unless, you know, it, it, he's fun to talk to. Once you get the uh, on the frequency, you know, of him, yeah, I mean, think about, look at where he's at. He's in demand everywhere, in every track, and he's even making a beachhead here in America, which it isn't easy to do. There's very few people in America that are not only talented, but get paid and are, are kind of like you uh, select them. Again, it's normally who's ever available who can read the the screen and away we go and I'm sure that you have heard some deadly uh, track announcers that will just make you want to go I'm staying in the bathroom and I don't care who wins but people like Alan Ward you know they're pros and when he said he's been doing it for years it shows you know he has a genuine like for people and sometimes you know, it takes you back a little bit for a few minutes because you're trying to figure out what his gig is. That's him. That's genuinely him. You would want to, even if he's not related to you, you'd want to invite him over for your Christmas parties because, oh my gosh, how much better you'll be when, you know, he comes in. Amazing guy. It's really too bad that uh, he got swamped by these two 105 guys that were in our estimation, less than stellar. You can add in whatever words you want there, but you get the idea. You know, just let... You, you brought the man over from Australia. Let him do his thing. You know, you're not going to top him. You're not going to beat him. He knows more than you. He is more clever than you. He's more intelligent than you. So let him do his thing. <laughs> He's more fun to listen to. And oh, by the way, the Red Frogs, for people in America... It is a combination of um, like a Swedish fish and a gummy bear, you know, So, but it looks like a frog and it's red. So instead of a red fish, red Swedish fish, you have a frog. Now, how genius that he does have to break the ice to people, you know, to drag racers who, although friendly, a little standoffish sometimes. He's an amazing guy. I swear to God, you know, we could have him back on for probably another three or four episodes that would probably scratch the surface. Anyway. <laughs>